We're asking for $51.5 billion for 2023, which is about 25% more than we have asked for in 2022. The needs have grown by that much. What's also relevant to that is the fact that the needs are growing by about that much year by year in recent years. Funding, however, is interestingly stable, so it's not diminishing as a result of Ukraine and cost of living problems. It's relatively stable for humanitarian funding. But in 2022, it only met 44% of the needs. And so if we go into 2023 with increased needs, probably perhaps around the same level of humanitarian funding, the percentage goes down. So the gap between needs and funding grows and people suffer as a result. You're saying that there are rising needs. So how can we future-proof ourselves, if you like? How can the humanitarian community really make sure that money gets to where it's needed as well? Well, look, people say to me, how can you come back and tell us year in, year out that the needs are growing? It's because it's my job to do so. The humanitarian community has a responsibility globally to identify and broadcast the needs of people who need humanitarian assistance. So we should not be castigated for telling you what the price is that we have to pay. Future-proofing, I think, is exactly the right word, and there are ways that we can do this much better. Number one, we should be using, not us, but the world should be using climate money, adaptation, maybe loss and damage money, to build resilience to those communities in the Horn of Africa, in Pakistan, in the Sahel, who are suffering from climate shocks, which are none of their doing. The money isn't getting there. I was in Somalia not long ago, and the money for resilience is not getting there. As a result, Somalia has the highest urbanization rate in the world because people are trekking to somewhere where they can get a living. Secondly, pastoralism in the Horn of Africa is now totally at risk because people have lost their livestock and investing in livestock again is simply not a good proposition. We're now going through the fifth failed rainy season, unprecedented in the Horn of Africa, and we think a sixth will come early next year. So getting resilience money through climate into those communities, we know how to reach communities, but we need their money to do so. Number two, we need member states to understand and agree that development funding, which is structural funding of services for people through government structures, needs to be supported even in places where there is a political disagreement between the government in that place and the donor. We need to look much more carefully at how development funding needs to be protected as much as humanitarian funding. When I hear from member states, we're going to protect humanitarian funding, that's the good news, of course, development funding, we can't do the same. My response is, we need development funding because it does things differently from us and it does many things better. So those two elements are future-proofing. To be more precise about where this climate funding is coming from, you're suggesting that it should come from the fossil fuel companies. Well, that's one suggestion. The Secretary-General in the COP made that bid for windfall taxes on the fossil fuel companies. But it also goes to the pledges made through the G7 and other pledges on adaptation. You remember that famous pledge of $100 billion a year. Well, I don't think we've seen where that has arrived, let alone been dispersed. So it's also the pledges of governments, particularly of the emitters, if you like, to support those who have not caused this problem. So it's, yes, maybe fossil fuel companies, but also international solidarity through governments and member states, as they have pledged and as they did again in the COP.
And very last question, if you don't mind. Ukraine is, everyone's very aware of it, and we know that the funding for it has been very high because it's been so high profile. There are many other emergencies maybe you'd like to highlight. You've already spoken about Somalia. Which are the places that, in your opinion, in 2023 are going to be even more vulnerable than they are now? Well, I think Afghanistan is a huge worry because we haven't had stabilization funding going into Afghanistan. We still don't have the kind of relationship with the Taliban that we need to make that happen. So we're going to go into another cold winter with a risk of famine. Afghanistan's on the list of the five countries at risk of famine. The Horn I've mentioned, Ethiopia, Kenya and Somalia. The Sudans and Central African Republic, those places which continue to be very, very worrying and very alarming and are getting very little international attention because that's what Ukraine has done is suck the oxygen out. I mean, Ukraine needs our help, but so do these other places. And finally, there, if I can point to a slightly different, if you look at Haiti, Haiti has a potential cholera epidemic. God knows not the first time in Haiti, which is hugely worrying. Yes, it's a small country. Yes, the numbers are, are smaller, but it's just as worrying for those people who are at risk there. So our attention should go to Haiti as well. And then finally, Venezuela. Perhaps we can hope in Venezuela to see a process. We now see the talk started in Mexico. We see the political agreement on the social agenda. Maybe we can see that Venezuela might be turning the corner. That would be amazing. We need to also find places to stop doing humanitarian assistance. That's as important as anything else.